Hi, Vibha. Can you see me? Absolutely. Hi, Saloni. Very good to see you here. Guys, uh, excited to have Saloni Darshi here on episode number 30 of House of Experts. Um, my name is Vibha Kaksi and I'm going to be your host today as we delve into the world of art curation and collection. And we have with us um, an expert on the subject, Saloni Doshi, who's the founder and director of Space 118, uh, India's foremost art residency. Uh, she's been collecting art since uh, she was a child. She comes from a family of uh, well-renowned collectors and has really carved a niche for herself in the space. Uh, she's additionally working on a book, uh, which she's going to talk a little bit more about. She also is very encouraging towards artists, uh, constantly holds exhibitions, and has a long-standing relationship with several people in the art world. Uh, more than all her professional accolades, uh, just wanted to say that Saloni is a very dear friend, uh, very warm, welcoming, and uh, always there for anyone who needs her help or her advice uh, in any matter. So Saloni, more than... Uh, oh, you know, thank you to you to for just being a really dear friend and accepting my invitation to come on the show. And thank you for being who you are. So welcome to the show, Saloni. I'm here because of you, Viva. <laughs> okay. All right. So without much ado, going to just jump into uh, our first question for today, which uh, so Saloni, as you know, at Reach IV, we focus on careers and education. And of course, uh, especially in India, a lot of credit goes to our parents in our early years, you know, to for those sort of become the foundation years for us. So if you could just give us a sneak peek into your childhood, you know, I, I know you have two siblings, you grew up in this beautiful family, uh, but we want to hear it in your words. So what was your childhood like? You know, my, my mother insisted that um, we were raised with um, all the classical values. So I had to learn... Bharatnatyam, a classical dance. I had to play the piano. We had to learn Hindu, Hindustani classical vocals. And uh, because my mother comes from Calcutta, I grew up uh, with a very strong influence of uh, Bengal school, um, you know, in terms of going to museums, going to galleries. My uncle is a collector of the Bengal um, school. So I grew up with that. I think uh, I was his favorite from a very young age. So I think it just so happened that um, yeah, I mean, I, I was exposed to it from a very young age. But I think being introduced to the classical forms is something that um, my mother was very particular that we um, were, you know, in, uh, we were exposed to, including religious training. I mean, we're Jain. So we had a teacher teaching us not just our Jain parts, but also uh, what they mean. And, you know, so we don't, uh, you know, we don't um, say it as is. We understand what we are saying and we understand why we're praying. So for many years, we had a teacher who would teach us, you know, what Jainism meant. So I think I had religious training as well as classical, I mean, training in the classical arts from a very young age. Of course, then we used to crib about it and hate it. Now I realize where it comes from. Okay, terrific. So very early influences of learning dance and music. Um, when did art happen? You know, was, was that a sort of uh, a one-time experience? Was there someone you met? Was, you know, wh what was the turning point? When, when did art enter your life? 
you know i think art was always in my life i i mean we were also exposed to a lot of art and craft so i learned i went to you know oil painting classes in calcutta i even used to do a lot of sketching um and i and in crafts also i mean my mother exposed us to everything we had to make rangolis every day i remember i used to make them then out of uh, colored uh, you know pencil shavings we used to take pencil shavings and dye them and make rangolis out of them or dye rice and make rangolis out of that dye uh, even atta you know and and you know use uh, that once i remember i made in school rangoli out of screw uh, nails and uh, screw uh, you know those um, um keelas but of different kinds screws and keelas and of all different textures thick ones thin ones so it was a very mechanical rangoli so i think it was always there but um i think having said that coming from a business family i was i don't know why i was not encouraged or you know i maybe because i was extremely bright academically i you know was uh, i i sort of automatically was just i went into commerce and then i i never took up fine arts as a subject and i think i that is one of my biggest regrets you know all my life that i never took up fine arts as a subject in college yeah okay so um early inclination towards art you did not study it as a subject um i know you studied a little bit of media so if you could just tell us a little bit about your educational background and sort of that journey um i know you hold two postgraduate degrees but if you could just sort of for the audience just elaborate a bit about your education you know so my education um in the uh, i mean um uh, in the media has been very strong after i finished my double graduation in um, uh, from st xavier's college in economics and political science i did uh, do a social communications media course at sophia polytechnic i did a diploma and then i did go to lsc in london london school of economics and i did my msc in media and communication so i think that um sort of helped um a lot in terms of uh, um i mean my my entire background initially in terms of my educational background um and i also did a masters from bombay university in political science so my oh, wow. background was in politics and media and then i came back uh, from london and i joined times of india and i was there um as a brand and product manager managing all the group websites so i was in charge of digitizing um every uh, publication into a website in those days i was known as the online girl and nobody understood what i was doing but obviously today you know tables have turned and everything is online but um yeah, way ahead of um, the curve in terms of what i was doing then and even what i'm doing in many ways now or rather when i started my career in the arts okay terrific so 6 years of a solid career times of india yeah. managing uh media managing their properties understanding the tech world uh what happens then how how do you enter you know into the space of art how do you switch careers um how do you convince your family and more forget the family more so yourself that you want to make this sort of career transition so what was that turning point for you you know um just before i went to london to study i did um i i did a 9 month internship um while i was doing my degree uh, with bombay university i did a 9 month internship with the uh, um oceans the finance auction house and that was a turning point in my life that was the only internship in times of india was the only job i have ever done but that was a turning point in my life because that um 
exposed me to arts from bengal you know all over india antiquities contemporary everything i mean these the my vocabulary in the arts uh, changed and i was a research uh, you know i was doing research when i was at oceans so because of my uh, because of my role there i understood so much about the arts that um fortunately or unfortunately i couldn't get it out of my system so when i did come back and uh, join times of india i realized that you know what i can't i'm not with the arts but what i do like now is i can collect it you know? and my initial salaries all i mean i think my first 3 years actually pretty much all the years i was there but most of it went into buying art from a very very young age because that's when i really truly had the freedom to buy what i wanted to you know and i did not have to ask my parents to pay 20000 for a piece of paper that anybody can do <laughs> so, yeah i i mean i i didn't look for the encouragement or i wasn't discouraged either i just decided to make it my own journey and i started collecting from a very young age so pretty much exactly the same time i started earning which was at times of india yeah okay so that that would be around the age of what 22 23 yeah about 24 i would say yeah because okay. i did i did about two masters degrees and then i also did two more masters degrees i did a another diploma in art criticism and theory and then i did another diploma in uh, indian art aesthetics so that was very useful uh, one i did when i was in times of india and one i did after i quit times of india because they're very intensive courses so i think that also helped me a lot um, in terms of understanding our own heritage you know um okay. yeah so so lots of education it seems like you constantly kept yourself upgraded through coursework uh you've made sure that you're sort of continuously learning that seems to be one of your themes i i think i'll always be a student of life and mm-hmm. in general, i mean i don't think one can ever know enough today technology changes every day i mean we i mean from where did we start i mean landlines we had like a regular phone used to dial numbers yeah. like that today we don't even care about a landline in our house you know we have to learn apps like instagram and facebook and all these things are so important so if we don't change and if we don't learn then how are we going to grow you know what i mean you have to adapt yourself terrific so constantly learning um so 24 years old you buy your first piece of art tell us a bit about it take us back to that scene what did you buy and you know what was that thought process like what what did you first lay your hands on um you know i was in hyderabad for a friend's wedding and uh, that i i really used to get time to go to galleries in bombay because i just started working so actually my initial purchases um, you know is are all from all over india but bombay bombay was actually my last destination because you see even when i shop for clothes or anything at the end of the day i do i do feel that i don't really get time when i'm in the city because this is a city that makes you work so you're constantly working when you're here you don't get time to do things other than that and i was obviously very new in my job so i didn't have that leave to take time off you know um but at the same time i feel like i used to travel a lot for friends weddings or just to meet family etc and um, i do feel that um i i bought a lakshma gaud i i remember walking into a gallery and um, there was this beautiful piece of an erotic woman and i did feel that you know coming from um a regular i mean not so regular but coming from the kind of family backgrounds we do you do not see women with like full you know yeah. um, bosom or any of that you know in a regular home and 
I did find it very provocative and very evocative. Like today, it's lying around in my house and nobody even notices it. But yeah. uh, those days, it was a big thing for me to buy that work. I I actually took it out of storage after many years when I finally had my own space. But that was my first art purchase, you know. And um, it uh, it it is very. I mean, and and since then, every time I travel, I would go and see the local galleries in every city, and I would um, enjoy. you know their um, programs and join you know their mailing list and then sort of get ideas of what's going on and yeah and i started just collecting from there okay wow that that sounds like a a, fa- a fairly simple start you're making it sound uh, quite easy and accessible to uh, for for all of us who are not initiated into the arts so you buy this first piece of art thereafter you you know constantly learning constantly traveling i you know i'm always curious to understand uh you know through all your travels and all these galleries you visited what do you see you know for the uninitiated what do you see when you see a piece of art if you had to break it down to the, the basics for some of us um how should we look at art what what do you look at um you know for me i think because my eyes train in terms of like i said because of my i look at the composition firstly before anything um what is the composition whether it's a photograph or a you know whatever what is in the frame you know of the work and that for me is very very important um and then i look at materiality i look at the message that the work is trying to communicate and um, because contemporary art is about that you know the the message is you know i mean is everything so contemporary art is no longer about you know the artist really painting it themselves or um you know um doing anything by themselves but uh, it is about the idea behind it and what what i think in daily parlance what you call conceptual art because it's more conceptual vis-a-vis you know um um i mean art that requires physical labor so i think sure. for me, um the message is very important and the composition is very important and how that's relayed which is in the form the materiality etc that is very important after that okay wow okay so the composition the materiality and what is the sort of the messaging behind that piece of art okay i have some comments here krisan says very interesting travel and collection of art thank you krisan oh we have a question here from abel who says how expensive was that piece of art that you first bought your first your first purchase i think it was for 40 or 50000 okay 40 50000 Yeah. So, if you're looking to get a, a start, um, you you can enter this space at uh, that price point or slightly lower as well. Lower. That was a pretty decent size work of art, so it was a little expensive. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We have a question from uh, a comment from Yasmin Gonzalez who says you're so inspirational. Thank you, Yasmin, for that comment for Saloni. Let's take this question here from uh, Of Of Mirchi who says. What is the difference between buying art from a gallery versus an auction house? Okay, great. I actually wanted to touch upon this. So, this is a great question. You know, um so galleries are your first point. They are the ones who really promote artists. They are the ones who give, you know, birth to young talent. So, looking at group shows, solo shows of young artists at galleries is very important. I think for young collectors who have price point in mind, and do not know how to navigate the art world one should only look at galleries 
I think auction houses is what is an auction? I mean, you auction something that you can't get ordinarily in the primary market, which is the gallery market, that you need to that you are ready to pay a premium for. That's why it's auction because you can. I you're thinking the auction houses have uh, sort of more exclusive collections that the galleries might not have. That's what an auction is for. That you are auctioning things which are more exclusive, which is why you are paying a premium. um uh, because you can't get them ordinarily so i feel like um the reason why you would even uh, go to an auction house is if you you know i mean today the role of an auction house is changing but conventionally that's what uh, an auction house means so i feel like if you're starting with lesser budgets one must look at um, galleries as the first point of contact and if you're starting with a high budget and are only looking for signatures you know or names that you're familiar with which you may not um, be able to auction houses are a great place to buy from if you're looking for signature works and you're looking for names that you're familiar with and you just and and you have the money to buy and you just want a place where you do not get cheated or you know any of that and then you can just buy from an auction house but yes if you're a young collector like me um galleries would be your primary place your best bet okay great an auction is called a secondary marketplace a gallery is called a primary marketplace okay all right very interesting okay and you know for again young art collector how do they value art how how do i know whether i'm being fleeced how do i know the how do i know what to pay you know how do you know how do you know what to pay well how do i know that <laughs> is a long answer but how does one know in general um I think one must buy from galleries they're familiar with. Okay, I think trying to understand why you pay seven hundred rupees or seven thousand rupees or seventy thousand rupees for a cup or a saucer, right? You know, I mean, if it's yeah. pure, your gold might be seventy lakhs also. So why you pay that? We don't know, right? You will pay anything if it has a label on it or not a label on it. I mean, it's the same thing. So I think. Uh, Just for starters, everyone who's looking at buying art um, must buy from very credible places and galleries of repute. You know, who've been around, even if they're young galleries and they haven't been around, but you know them, or you know you're following their programming, or any of that. I don't think one should just buy um, blindly from just any place or just pick it up from the road. Of course, you do that, but then you don't expect it to appreciate. You know. Sure. you can buy from anywhere i can buy from you you can buy from me i can also make an artwork and token you but what i mean is i'm not talking about that i'm talking about um art that you know is of value and is value as an artwork is is always important to um buy from good galleries or galleries with good so you buy from the gallery but um how would i know how like if i look at the amount the gallery has sort of pegged the piece of art at how do i know if i'm getting uh, you know an act of fair price how does one judge are there sort of metrics out there are there is there some public data that i would study like how how do you value art there's nothing this is there's a deep no um there are values only for artists who have uh, you know um who who've been celebrated or who um yeah who who've got a very extensive cv but uh, for younger artists there is no value really I think the value is in what you see. So what I you see. you like it, and you're comfortable with the price is what I would say. Okay. It's not like going to make you poor, and it's definitely not you know going to be a pinch on your wallet. 
it's something that you would pay for a dress or a meal or a holiday you know depending on how much you like the work then okay. just treat it as one of those that's it you know okay so this is like a classic case cousin guy don't need the moderns or you know the senior artists yes there is i mean there is a metrics and you can understand that better when you understand how to buy from auctions etc but um, yeah okay so uh, sounds like a classic case of beauty lies in the art of the beholder yeah and sort of just you know this is what you see what you perceive that's right. the value yeah that's so the value uh, but you also just talked about you know um, senior artists well renowned artists uh, you know sort of charging a premium so as as an art collector how much importance do you give to the artist versus the work like where are you on that spectrum you know how important is is it to you as to who created this piece of art versus just the sheer sort of beauty of that piece of work where, where are you on that spectrum um can you repeat that question again sorry so I, i want to understand like you know do you distinguish between the art and the artist art is art so you know when i started collecting um i mean i can't say collecting because i started buying art um i i did many a times first buy and then meet the artist much later in some cases i would really like them and in many cases or rather you know few cases that i would not you know i would not agree to what they say or i would not agree to you know them being a certain person and you know portraying themselves as something else when they actually you know would um, make their art or rather the art signifying something else so i you know it was much later and i used to question this you know to myself all the time that how does one distinguish between the two and can one get emotional about an artist and uh, not about their practice but you know it is now after almost 18 years of collecting as well as you know being in the art world i feel um i can i can distinguish between the rice from the chaff you know so i i do know that um you can't you can't uh, possibly um you can't possibly link the two you have to okay. be able to distinguish and you have to be able to um cut the two out so you can be a great artist but um, a horrible Not person fine. and you can be a very nice person but a horrible artist and that's okay. also, you know so okay so you're saying you should sort of separate the two and and sort of evaluate the two yeah. um two different sort of boxes okay terrific that's very helpful uh thank you for giving us an overview of the art collection world i want to shift gears because you know so saloni you wear so many different hats within this art space um let's shift gears to uh, your residency want to understand a bit more about space 118 and uh just for starters for the audience what is space 118 what do you guys do there in space 118 so in the upper when we talk we drink wine <laughs> usually in the evening um at space 118 we actually give studios um and residencies to artists from india and all over the world um for the last 11 years uh when i got into this like i said i was already working at times of india and i started buying art but uh, what kept me going is that i wanted to quit times and i wanted to i'd already started buying and i wanted to do something with the arts but it was not about starting a gallery i think i'm still very averse to being one because a gallery and an auction house is a commercial institution so i don't think um i looked at art from that lens i looked at it as more as something that i enjoy and i um 
um, that I wanted to be surrounded by. And I guess because I didn't go to art school, what I realized when I was taken on a trip to Baroda, where I saw many artist studios, you know, I came back and I wondered where are they in Bombay? And I realized there are none. I mean, they're not in the city at least. I, even now in the city, as a community studio space, I'm the only one. And before me, there was one which was pretty much 40 years ago by Bulabai Desai Road. So Bulabai yeah. Desai from Madhuri Bain used to run a studio called Bulabai Memorial Studios. So after Bulabai Memorial Studio, which is only a studio place, not a residency. Residency is where you live as well. I'm the second person in the city, you know, to have started... Wow. So, yeah, so it was, uh, it was a big thing to start. And as you know, I mean, what real estate means in South Bombay. Sure. And uh, what the, uh, this is about. So I feel like as someone who started this space so early on, I never realized what I had started till I actually started it. And uh, so what, once... what is the space one on it? So what, what do you guys do there? So I, I have had the fortune oh, of visiting beautiful space. So we give studios to artists to work in. You know, uh, I mean, these are rooms. Studio is essentially a room um, which you work in. And uh, they're given for anything between six months to three months. And then we give um, uh, residencies where you live as well. So both studios and residencies. And there's a whole programming around it. I mean, you, um, um, once an artist comes in, there are icebreaker sessions where they introduce their practice to each other. Then there is um, also... Uh, um, you know, the tours done off the galleries in then there is um, a I think there's a slight disruption in the internet. Mm, Saloni, if you can hear me, there's a slight connection issue. Um, I think guys, Saloni is just gonna going to fix her connection and come back uh, learning a lot about the art world here um, curation valuation how artists think how collectors think um, galleries versus auction houses um, how as the uninitiated do you value art uh, how do you pick a piece of art what do you see when you see um, a piece of art I mean this is just absolutely fascinating um, so much detailing and so many aspects to think about uh, when you're trying to evaluate um, uh, what piece of art to purchase. And, uh, you know, what seemingly seems like a, a fairly simplistic uh, career from the outside, it seems like there's so many layers to it. Um, of course, like many things in life, uh, and like most of our guests have expressed, it's all about passion, right? Like, I, I think this is episode number 30. And in every episode, you know, the resounding message I'm hearing is you've got to be passionate about whatever it is that you choose. Having spent seven years in media, having got 
two postgraduate degrees in media uh she chose to switch careers and uh work in the space right so clearly um you know it's ultimately it's passion that sort of presides uh, over anything else in life or practicality sort of uh takes a back seat okay there we are all right much clearer yeah. thank you so i was saying sorry i was saying that yeah so give, and there's a whole programming around it you know when the artist comes there are icebreaker sessions where they introduce their practice to each other then they are told about all the galleries talks etc that are happening in the city uh, they exposed to markets etc which where they learn about materiality they also are exposed to the areas in bombay you know it's not easy to understand bombay so quickly you know when you come into the city and then there is um, we have what is most important is the mentorship session the mentorship session is when a senior artist comes and critiques or you know engages with the artist in the studio about their work and lastly we open up the studios to the public where we have open studio days where we introduce the public to practices of younger artists um and what they're making in the studio so why it that's why it's called open studio day where you literally open out the studios to the public yeah yeah i i actually so you've been kind enough to invite me to the open studio and the kind of yeah. work that your artists have put up on display uh is mind boggling you know it's it's better than an art artwork i have seen in the galleries around bombay so yeah so honestly i expose the publics to um you know what actually a studio practice looks like i mean we only see art in galleries we never see them in the making or in the studio and uh, that for me was very exciting and i think i think personally i think my own journey with it was more important to me so and then you know it sort of passes on to the others so sure. uh, absolutely pioneering work there saloni in the space of art residencies here in india uh want to touch a little bit upon the the workshops that you organized with these artists i remember space 118 was doing a series of workshops so if you could just talk a little bit about that and how that sort of fit into your residency you know um you know i started organizing workshops a few um months into you know um my practice um when i started the studios and the reason why i started them is because i felt like the city wanted to engage with the studios in a way which was a lot more than um you know um just simply coming for an open studio day so i i feel like um i felt like i myself wanted to be surrounded by the making of the art right and not just buying art and uh, that's when i started uh, organizing art workshops by art professionals who actually taught um that particular subject whether it's raku pottery or ceramics or um, print making various kinds of print making photography we had we had about 70 80 workshops yeah. at space yeah, and there was a whole range of it and um, screen printing shibori you name it and we did a lot of work around it so yeah okay that was um, it was more to engage the external public with with what was happening at space yeah I, i mean it was a fabulous forum you know as as an outsider yeah uh, you know to art world you really just welcomed all of us into your residency and into the mind of these artists it was seriously an experience to interact with all your artists when you were invited us so and it was great for them also to get a touch point into just just regular citizens who don't understand yeah. art correct correct i mean that was the point yeah okay uh just just to get a sense like how many artists have sort of you know 
gone through your residency and where in the world do they come from like which countries have you seen where do they find you how do you find them like what is that whole process about we've had in 11 years over 450 artists who've come and lived wow. and worked with us um where do they find us so we are in india i mean it's a small community uh, a large part of it is from baroda uh, maharaja sayajirao university which is one of the best art schools in the country uh, unfortunately not many from jj which is literally in the backyard but uh, jj msu shrishti um schools from mysore tamil nadu it's like you know one person graduates and then they tell the other so it's pretty much word of mouth in india for international artists we are on uh, websites for this which is like res artists and resident residency unlimited so um, we usually register on that and then that's where international artists find out about us but um, it's not and it's not been difficult i can't tell from which continents people have come i mean we definitely have had people from america europe africa china taipei um so yes we've had the whole gamut uh, initially the residency uh, and space was started only for indian artists it was only within about um about two years into starting it that I actually opened out opened it up for international artists too so yeah wow okay 450 artists in 11 years that's a phenomenal yeah. run terrific yeah. okay now what what is the is the point of the residency why have you started is it is this for you a platform to encourage artists is there a commercial angle to it like you know from a from a business perspective you know what is the the commerce behind the art you know our residency in any residency in india which is what i'm um um you know um i mean in in our country we do not have any support for the arts you know uh, the government doesn't support the arts um the private sector usually support um their own initiatives as a part of their own csr and uh, so if you have to do anything in the arts it's usually you have to pay for it yourself now while you can do it for several years you can't do it forever i mean to have to give i mean 2000 square feet of land in bombay to anybody nobody would do that right so um and definitely free of cost nobody would do it so what i mean is i have to um, most residencies don't have to think of it in this way but uh, for bombay based residencies it's even tougher because uh, rental or electricity or regular running um, of a space is very expensive and uh, that's why i feel um, it was important so when we, uh, we um, did a did the residency i didn't think of so much but we did take one work in return from every artist who worked in these in the residency and uh, we would sell it as part of the collection every year we would do an auction with actually a very reputed uh, international uh, auction house for not for profits and benefits called padlet so for um, almost 4 years um not back to back but you know consecutively i have done auctions of the space 118 collection as fundraisers with padlet who actually only support not for profits and benefits so that's something that's been beneficial but uh, and um, yeah and and sometimes we would rent out the studios long term to artists from bombay who do not want to stay for a short while they want to just take it forever so that was another way of keeping the program going but other than that um, it's difficult you know it's difficult to run residencies i mean artists run residencies um, which are started by artists and are run by artists typically die faster and earlier because um, either they're not good at administration or they do not simply have the funds 
to run it, you know, um, and that could be a huge issue. So I think it's very important to know um, where your corpus is going to come from and where you're going to run it and how you're going to run it. So typically, uh, fundraisers are, are the way forward um, for a space like ours. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, I want to touch a little bit upon the beautiful piece of art you have behind you. It's, as you know, it's one of my favorite pieces of art in your house. Yeah, you made um, me sit here. <laughs> yeah, so where did this come from? What's the backstory? Well, um, this is from us. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's one of, from one of the Space 118 artists. Um, I had got it many years ago, but um, this, uh, is, uh, uh, this is not a work she made in the residency. It's something she made much later. Her name is Tanya Goel. Um, she worked at Space 118, I think, in 2012-13, and I started the space in 2009. Um, she had come for three months, and uh, she had just come back from Yale. She's uh, one of the rare few artists from our country who's not only studied in art in, um, in Baroda, uh, she did a BFA and MFA there, but she also went to Art Institute Chicago and then transferred her master's to Yale University as well, which has one of the best departments for art and painting particularly. So uh, she studied there and then she came back to India and she's based out of Delhi and she'd come from my residency. Uh, Tanya's work is a lot about color and it's a lot about light, you know, and how light interacts with color, color and various pigments and how she makes, um, you know, her paintings from um, materiality that she finds in different spaces and uh, sort of mix those materials um, as pigments into her color, you know, and makes a, a different kind of pigment that comes out of it. And... Um, I mean, her practice has evolved a lot from this work to, or rather the work she started making at my space, uh, which was very Rothko-like, you know, uh, from that to this, to what she's making now, I think, you know, the work has evolved a lot and it's sort of fragmented and, you know, um, taken its own direction. So, yeah, uh, there are many Space 118 artists who started out young and um, fresh at space and today have become mid-career artists. I can't say they've become senior but many of them have become mid-career artists and that's a very good feeling. Yeah. I find it so endearing how you, you know, when you're talking about the artists, it's like you're talking about a family member. You know, you yeah. know their journey, you know their talent, you know, like their backgrounds. I mean, it's it's just amazing. You know, you're, you're talking about it with this warmth uh, and compassion. Like it's, it's actually like, you know, you're talking about like a sibling and sharing yeah. the journey. It's adorable. Uh, what you know, I, I know you do beyond just the residency in terms of supporting artists. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, the shows that you do, how do you sort of promote these artists? Uh, you, you've done the 10 year celebration of Space 118. Maybe talk a little bit about that and you know, how did that sort of culminate? Yeah, so you know, I think, um, this passion of mine, um, sort of obviously was recognized by others and Gita Mera of Sakshi Gallery um, who's been one of the oldest galleries in the contemporary art space uh, in, in Bombay, rather India, um, one of the oldest, um, asked me to do, she said, I want to celebrate 10 years of Space 118. And I said, oh, is it? And how would you want to do that? And she said, I want to do a show and why don't you curate it? So I said, okay, I'll curate a show of uh, artists from Space 118 who have done well and whose practices I still follow and know very well. Tanya is one of them. Um, and I said, okay, fine. So I did a show. 
I curated my first show of 33 artists called Making Space, which is um, a 10 year celebration of Space 118. And I called it Making Space because I really feel that's what the residency did. Uh, you know, it made space for artists in the city, which otherwise wow. nobody would, you know. And uh, this year she um, asked me to curate another show. Actually, it, it came out of an Instagram post of mine in the beginning of lockdown where I... Um, um, I posted 20 artists to watch out for in 2020. Then these were again artists who I was following, uh, whose studios I'd been to, many of them, not all, um, whose practices I knew and was familiar with. And uh, I just felt like, you know, in the beginning of the lockdown, that there's nothing to do. We're also addicted to social media. And uh, let's do something that is different. And uh, I just posted 20 artists to watch out for in 2020. And she said, why don't we convert it into a show? And I said, sure. And and that happened, my post was in March, I, I approached the artist and all this conversation happened in May. And the show was in October, I mean, in September, October now. Sorry, October, November now. And um, yeah, I've, I've had a very good run with it. Okay, and I, I know that the 10-year the, the anniversary celebration was sold out. So clearly so is this uh, one. <laughs> so is this one. Okay, awesome. <laughs> terrific. So the artists are terrific to have found you as... Uh, as you are to have found them. Um, so, uh, so you want to touch a little bit about, you know, uh, from the conversation, what I'm understanding is uh, the art lies at the sort of intersection of, you know, creativity uh, for you, sort of nurturing the, the artists uh, from a creative perspective and the commercial angle behind, you know, is this even a, a, a viable business and sort of the passion you have for this space. So uh, is, is passion, creativity and commerce are these sort of three parallel lines or do you see them intersecting? You know, um, a gallery, like I said, a gallery and an auction house are commercial institutions. Uh, what I run is more or less a not-for-profit, you know. It's not more or less, it is a not-for-profit. And it is very, um, you know, but even not-for-profits are profitable, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not like if you run a not-for-profit, you are literally like, you know, living off the road or, you know, don't get a salary or cannot uh, afford things. I mean, you are enabling others' lives, whatever not-for-profit you run, whether it's a shelter for animals or, you know, old age home or whatever. I mean, every not-for-profit has to find some way of making money to support your register as a not-for-profit. Yeah. So to support, okay. we're not registered as a not-for-profit, but we function like one. Um, okay. So I feel like most residencies are registered. I didn't want you to get into the, you know, um, because there's a lot of uh, compliances when you are registered as one. But we function as one. And um, the thing is, when you do that, I feel like you have to understand how to make um, sense out of it because otherwise you would not be able to run it, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So like I said, in the art world, we typically have to do fundraisers, you know, okay. for uh, making, um, you know, ends meet in. And yes, I mean, it. you have to make commercial sense. Otherwise, you will not exist at all. You will be non-existent. So I think um, to have run a residency space in Bombay for the last 10 years and having continued it, with a single-handed, dogged determination is what Gita Mera saw in me and wanted to congratulate me and hence, um, you know, give me the show last year. Um, yeah, and it was, it's been a great uh, journey into getting into cura curating art and putting up curatorial shows. Along the same lines, uh, after the show, we, I remember we spoke about, you know, about a year ago and you talked to me about your book, um, 
very fascinating. If you're okay with sharing with the audience a little bit about your book, where the idea came from, and what is the book about? So, you know, the book, um, when I, like I said, when I started, I didn't know what I had started. Um, there really isn't any history to this beyond the Bulabai Memorial Studios. And uh, I remember when someone came to my space, Saryu Doshi and Feroza Godrej had come once, and uh, they said that this reminds us of the Bulabai Desai Studios. I, I didn't know what, I, what they meant, you know, so I had to Google it. And when I Googled it, I realized that... Uh, you know, there are many studios and residencies that exist in this country that I do not know of. And there are many people who want to start studios and residencies like me. But we don't have, a, we have an oral history in this country. We don't really have too much of a written history. And this is still an unorganized sector. Apart from auction houses giving prices, we do not really have you know, much text on uh, many of our, you know, I mean, now we do, but earlier we did, you know, and for residencies, there is nothing. There is, there is no place you can look at at one go where you know what has happened in this country, in this place of residencies. And it, they are such an important backbone in this country. They are the space where an artist goes to between college and getting a gallery, rather, you know. Sure. So... It's like going to your, you know, it, we're like an incubator pretty much, you know, uh, and that's where an artist gets many a times a push into their career, understands many artists go to many residencies uh, before, you know, they actually make it to a gallery, you know, or in the official art. book going to talk about your journey. Yeah, so it's going to talk about this. Yeah, it's not only Space 118. There are 50 residencies that have existed in this country. We're one of them. And it's going to talk about all of them, their histories, and how they started. Many of them who shut down, and uh, the, everything behind. Every, you will know everything about residencies in this country when you read this book. And it's written in a very easy way, um, where it's easy to understand, etc. So it's not like something which is more textbookish. So, guys, for everyone listening, please do follow Saloni on uh, Instagram at Saloni Doshi and uh, Space Saloni K Doshi. Saloni K. Doshi and Space 118. They're both very active Instagram handles. Of course, she'll be releasing primers on her book uh, on uh, her channels. Uh, Saloni, I want to you know, segue a little bit into you know, the careers uh, that one can think about when they want to explore art. You know, because in your individual capacity, you have been a collector, a curator, a patron, uh, run the residency. You know, you've, you've, you've worn many, many hats. Uh, what are some of the hats that you haven't explored that, you know, someone could potentially think of as a, as a potential career in the arts? Uh, you know, I feel, I mean, you know, normally like it's, I, I was telling you this before that one doesn't grow up thinking they'd be a cricketer, right? You'll be considered lunatic if you thought of that, especially if you came from a professional background, if your parents were professionals or if your parents were you know, in a, if you're from a business family, you can't just wake up and say, I want to paint or you can't wake up and say, I want to. So don't think about as just a, you know, traditional way of, oh, you either have to be a painter or you have to be a seller or you have to be an auction house. You do not have to be anything. There are many things in between, which is curating, which is writing for the arts, which is starting art publishing, um, which is, um, you know, I mean, there, there are professions that one can look at beyond these traditional um you know this thing and i feel um there is so much more you know today uh, i mean you can be an art influencer 
you know by just posting on instagram and collecting data and putting it up so i think yeah. there's a lot there's a lot that you can do um i mean making art is one of them but you have to create your identity within the art world or rather any world um so i think you can look at other professions maybe you can look at sourcing art you know you can look at um, you know helping in a, working in a museum as a museologist you can work as a program manager there are many things you know so um, there are many administrative jobs in in the arts as well so i feel like um, you can do conservation which is when you treat paintings that are damaged you know so there's conservationists are very important and a very important integral part of the art world so that you you can do you can do many things it's just that you have to you know i mean like i said it's a passion run business so you have to um, know this and uh, you have to keep uh, seeing what if you like it in, from day one then you then you sort of start exploring other avenues as to what you can do within it so if i had said oh i mean i can't be an artist so now i don't need to be in the art world that's not it i mean there are many um, things you can do you just have to explore those opportunities and see what suits you best okay great that's very encouraging uh, so guys for anyone who is interested in the arts uh, but uh, doesn't have the flair for you know painting or actually creating art as saloni mentioned there's several avenues to explore and seems like they're all legitimate uh, sort of careers you know they, they're not all purely passion plays these are actual needs of the industry yeah, yeah. And- and and there are careers to be found here um so only few closing words from you you know where where do you see you know the art world going um you know is the has the pandemic so severely affected this that are we seeing a slump um what what is the next or the immediate sort of year or two looking like and where do you see the next 5 years 10 years evolving to you know um i mean this pandemic personally for me has been the best thing ever <laughs> um i think uh, i think commercially the two things that have done very well one is the art that people know um that they want the best works of which is the established masters so like they say good art always sells you know and in the worst of times like this everything that's good it will sell and it will sell at whatever prices you wanted to sell whereas um on the flip side um everything that's young and inexpensive and easy to afford is also doing really well so i don't know i think what the pandemic has hit is a certain range of artists and a certain kind but i don't i mean you know i think i think like with things getting back into order with the lockdowns opening things are um changing and people are changing don't forget at the end of the day you are tied to your house and people do want to see beautiful things around them if you are going to be at home the whole day you do not want to see boring walls so i think a lot of people have bought art to even art plants uh, beautiful things just to be around them because you are at home most of the time or there is somebody at home most of the time so i think that's um, i think it's only health you know and online has become very important instagram facebook um just websites a lot of initiatives that the art world itself has made in fact i've given many interviews on this in this whole lockdown as to does online buying help and i always keep saying yes it does because at the end of the day i have not only bought art from bombay after going to the gallery i've been buying art from new york london la uh, you know uh, delhi hyderabad chennai everywhere 
I talk to people from everywhere and I buy art from everywhere. How do I see it? I'm not flying every day to see every work I buy. So we have been doing video calls. We have been getting PDFs. We have been doing all this for a long time. I mean, okay. the pandemic so is nothing new. The pandemic has not really sort of affected anything. Uh, I mean, it's not affected right? ways of buying. I have to say that way. We okay, were used great. to ways. I mean, any collector in the art world would definitely couldn't have seen every single work in their collection before they bought it. Yeah. You, you would buy on image or PDF. Okay, just going to read out a couple of comments here. Uh, but why Preeti says, great effort, Saloni, more power to you. Thank you, but why Preeti? Chris and for informative session on various options related to the art world. All right, thank you, Chris and for that comment. Uh, Saloni, just as we are ending the show, um, just a, a few thoughts, you know, at the top of your mind, if you, you know, how to think of, two or three trends you see, um, you know, in the art world uh, in the next five, 10 years, you know, where do you see, see the art world evolving to? Is, is, is anything coming to your mind? You know, the art world um, globally, I think is a $45 billion or 65. I'm not sure. I'm not so much into this. It's only in this lockdown that I actually understood that art is important. Mm -hmm. I feel the arts and the culture, we are a country that is very rich with, our own arts and culture. Um, we are a country that takes our art and culture for granted. Um, we are a country where the West has recognized what we have more than we have recognized it ourselves. And um, I feel those notions and um, that pattern is changing. Um, there is a growth in Indian collectors and there's a growth in um, people realizing our own heritage and um, putting it out there. I feel... Um, I feel there's a lot, there's, there's only positive things and a lot of growth in that world. I think we have, I mean, I, I don't think personally, I mean, you go through ups and downs in any industry and I'm sure there is one in this one too. But I feel in terms of, um, um, I mean, from where we started, which is like a few people buying art and supporting art and patronage, I feel that circle of people is only growing every year. And people are excited about art. I think people are also, there are a lot of young people who also want, uh, you know, don't look at it in terms of, um, and, you know, are, are not intrigued by it. They are, are, are you know, curious and have found ways of, you know, doing more research and um, figuring out, you know, um, art. it's no longer something that, oh my God, I don't have money to buy art, so I can't buy art. It's also no yeah. longer something that's inaccessible. I think art with the India Art Fair, the Kochi Biennial have become, you know, accessible and people are making efforts to, you know, listen to talks, etc., to understand it. And um, yeah, I think more and more people are getting into it. You know, it may not be a lifestyle for most, but it's also aspirational to have good art in your house. I mean, if you go yeah. and buy a beautiful house, a lot of people start like that. They start as buying art for their house and then they land up becoming collectors for, for a museum. And that's how Kiran Nada's journey was. She, If you hear her initial talks, um, she, she says that she started buying, um, you know, for her house and then she landed up, she's landed up building a museum. And there are many private collectors today who are building museums, you know. So you don't, okay, you're not born. So, yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, I'm going to read our last compliment here from Kothari Sanjay, who says, Saloni, you have a lovely piece of art behind you. 
uh, Sanjay, if you didn't see the rest of the conversation, it will be up on uh, Instagram very soon. Uh, and she has talked a little bit about that piece of art work specifically and uh, a lot more. Uh, Salori, thank you so much for this session. Uh, thank you for making art accessible to uh, all of us. And thank you for showing us uh, the beauty behind you and within you, because that's what really shone through this conversation. So uh, my heartfelt gratitude to you, Saloni, and uh, wish you all the best. And thank you for all the work on behalf of all the artists that you have helped, uh, supported, and uh, showered your love on. Uh, congratulations on building what you have built. And I know that the sky's the limit for you, Saloni. So waiting to see what you have uh, up your sleeve next. Thank you once again. Okay, thank you. Thank you and thank you, Ibu. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you you could just exit out of the chat if you just. All right, guys, thank you for this. And uh, that was episode 30 of House of Experts, believe it or not. Uh, have a fantastic guest coming up on the show next week. So stay tuned. And uh, this was fabulous. Learned so much about the art space. Uh, every session, you know, I, I started on this journey to help others get educated about different careers, but I feel enriched. Um, at the end of every session. Um, this was really an eye-opening session. And for all those who missed it or joined in late, please uh, definitely play back the entire conversation. It's going to be on Instagram, on our website, reachiv.com. There's a tab that says House of Experts and all the episodes are there. It's on YouTube. And we're also on Spotify, Ghana and Apple in terms of uh, a podcast. So whatever be your medium, whatever be your chosen platform, uh, we've tried to uh, synthesize these conversations and put them out for you. Uh, have a great evening, guys. Thank you for joining and stay tuned for next week's guests. Have a good evening. Are you looking for inspiration? In need of career guidance? Wondering what path successful people take? Listen up. I am Vibha Kagzi, CEO and founder of ReachIV.com, a Harvard alumnus and the author of Break the MBA Code. I'm going to be your host on this weekly show called House of Experts, where you can get an insight into a wide range of career choices directly from industry stalwarts. So buckle up and get ready to take off.